So this morning I titled my message, um, Remain Vigilant to the End. And as I was preparing my this study, you know, I was thinking about, um, man, this is something I've done, remaining vigilant. Um, I've been taught it for a very long time. You know, I, when I, one of the earliest times I remember about staying vigilant, being vigilant, was when I was in Marine Corps boot camp. You know, I, I had to learn and memorize all kinds of information, how to reassemble and reassemble an M16, I had to learn rank structure, I had to, you know, that, during those three months you're there, and I was there an extra month because I got hurt, but um, during that whole time there, you're just inundated with all kinds of information, information that you had to memorize, you had to know. There were times I, you know, I had a big pile of sweat underneath me and I had to recite some of the things, you know, and, or doing flutter kicks in the dirt and had to recite information. It was, that's all it was. You're just getting soaked with all kinds of stuff. You know, one of the biggest challenges I had was memorizing my 10 general orders, you know, um, that I've never really been good at memorizing stuff, you know, and that was always, um, so I, I had to spend extra time, my free time, on memorizing the stuff. Um, I had to memorize them and I had to recite them verbatim. And again, as I was preparing for this study, um, I was immediately reminded of my second general order. And that was, you know, that, that second general order is to walk my post in a military manner, always on the alert, observing everything that takes place with insider hearing. You know, and it's that, that general order, I didn't realize it back then, but I didn't, I, I didn't realize how much I was going to even use it today, how much I even use it now with the job that I have, because anything can happen. You know, last thing I want, one of my biggest fears is, is someone coming up behind me when I'm not paying attention and just putting a hole in me, you know? And so um, it is important for me to, to stay alert, stay vigilant. Um, but even bigger than that, as, as a Christian, I've learned also that we have to stay alert. We have to stay alert, we have to stay vigilant. Um, we're commanded by Christ to stay alert and vigilant. And I'll explain what I mean in a minute, but I want to first review a little bit to understand where we're at now. I want to review a little bit where we were last week. Now, last week we read the first 13 verses of Mark chapter 13. And that was the first portion of the Olivet Discourse. We saw how Jesus answered the disciples' questions on when the temple would be destroyed and what would be the sign that it was about to take place. There was... Um, a contextual message there. There was a message that he was relaying to his disciples, but within that message, it was also a prophetic message, a message for us to, to um, that we need to heed, pay attention to, because things will happen. He told us um, that he told us about some of the events that are going to take place. We read how Jesus revealed um, signs that we as believers ought to watch out for that will tell us that his arrival is imminent. You know, we talked about um, there was going to be famines, there was going to be earthquakes, um, wars, rumors of wars, um, persecution, some of the stuff we talked about. 
Now, how many of you were aware that this past week there was an, a 6-point earthquake in Botswana, Africa, and a 5.4 earthquake in, in the Philippines? I read them, I saw them briefly in, um, as I was going through my Twitter feed this week, and again, it reminded me of the labor pains. Things that are, and these are just a couple of examples, you know, the, those earthquakes. Also, this past week, the U.S. dropped close to 60 Tomahawk missiles in Syria, you know, as a response to a gas attack that happened there, you know, a very awful gas attack. But as that happened the day after, it definitely fueled talks about more war, wars and rumors of wars, of a war with Russia. So that's what I'm talking about, you know, paying attention to these signs. You know, and, and as I mentioned, one of the other things that we covered last week was the persecutions that Christians were going to suffer, that we are to expect as Christians. This morning, I woke up to the news that, as of right now, as of when I read it, up to 40 Egyptian Christians were killed in two bomb explosions while they were celebrating Palm Sunday Mass, Palm Sunday Church. Man, how awful. I mean, I was reading that. I was heartbroken. Being at church, two bombs went off. and Just mass casualties, destruction. These are the signs that we need to be paying. And I know the, and, and from what we talked about last week, these are just the labor pains. It's only going to get worse. But as difficult as things may get, Jesus also mentioned that the Holy Spirit will help his followers and salvation would be given to those who endure. Now this week, Lord willing, we will finish examining this Olivet Discourse. And we're going to be looking at a significant prophetic event that will occur during the Great Tribulation. We're going to also see a brief overview describing Jesus' return, a parable meant to illustrate the necessity of being watchful. And finally, we will read how Jesus wants everyone to know that God has set a time for his return and that no one at all will be able to predict the day when that will happen. This morning's message is intended to show you the importance of staying watchful, staying vigilant for his return. Even as the world seems to be spiraling out of control, even as it seems like, man, it's crazy out there, we are one day closer to his arrival than we were yesterday. We just have to keep being patient. We shouldn't lose sight. We have to remain watchful. We have to remain vigilant to the end. So what I want to do right now is I want to pray. Before I get into the Word, I want us to pray and, and ask the Lord to speak to us, and then we'll be breaking down the rest of this chapter. Heavenly Father, again, we come before you and ask that you speak to us um, through your Word. Lord, teach us this morning how to be vigilant so that we may be ready for your return. Lord, I know there's a lot of things that we are pay attention, that we that are, keep us distracted, Lord. 
but you've given us these signs. You've given us these, you know, your word to tell us what, to, what we ought to look for, Lord. Let us, not, let us not just be distracted with everything that's going on in our lives, but just to see, Lord, that you're coming soon. That your arrival is imminent, Lord. Speak to our hearts tonight, or to this morning, Lord. May we see you and hear from you. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 13, verse 14. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it should not, let the reader understand. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains. A man in the, housetop must, in the housetop must not come down or go in to get anything out of his house. And a man in the field must not go back to, his, to get his clothes. Woe to the pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days. Pray it won't happen in the winter. For those will be the days of tribulation, the kind that hasn't been from the beginning, from the beginning of the world, which God created until now and never will be again. Unless the Lord limited those days, no one would survive. But he limited those days because of the elect whom he chose. Then, if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, look there, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise and will perform signs and wonders to lead astray. If possible, the elect. And you must watch. I have told you everything in advance. If verses 5 to 13 is considered the labor pains, then verses 14 to 23 would be known as the final stages of delivery. As many of you know, in childbirth, this final stage of delivery is the last phase before a baby is born. Contractions are the most intense and the urge to push is the strongest. So what we see in these verses is a shift from the early signs of Jesus' return to the final stages leading up to it. Jesus begins by telling his listeners, when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it should not, this is what he means. For those, who, for those of you who may not know, in Daniel, in the book of Daniel, Chapter 9, verse 26 and 27, there's a prophecy written mentioning a prince who Daniel calls the abomination of desolation. He is a future world leader who establishes a peace agreement with Israel. When that happens, it will kick off a seven-year period known as Daniel's 70th week, or as many Christians would call it, the seven-year tribulation. In that prophecy, it says that sometime in the middle of those seven years, this prince will set himself up in a newly Jewish rebuilt temple. Right now, all there is in that area is the Dome of the Rock. It's a, it's a mosque. It's a Muslim mosque. But somehow, someway, a peace treaty will emerge, um, will, will happen. Um, there's, again, debates as far as what will happen. People are, again, making suggestions, but somehow, some way, a new Jewish temple will be rebuilt. So referring to Daniel's prophecy, Jesus is informing his listeners, 
when this world leader or antichrist is seen standing where it should not, that is in this new temple, his true character will emerge. One of the things he will do in the middle of those seven, in that seven year period is demand that everyone bow down and worship him. Then in verses 15 through 18, Jesus issues a warning to those future to those Jews living in that period that they must leave Jerusalem. They have to get their stuff and get out of there as quickly as possible. Because for the next three and a half years, Jews and Christians will be targeted by the Antichrist and the rest of humanity that supports him. It's just going to be a horrible time of tribulation, persecution for Jews and Christians. In verse 19, Jesus ex explains, For those will be the days of tribulation, the kind that hasn't been from the beginning of the world, which God created until now and never will be again. The last three and a half years of tribulation will be the worst time in humanity's existence. And nothing in history, nothing at all in history, anything that we've read about, anything that we've seen on TV, um, nothing at all will compare to it. In fact, he said it's going to be so bad, su such a bad time in, in, in during that time that no one would survive it if God hadn't chosen to cut those days short. But he tells us, for the sake of the elect, God shortened that time of trouble so that some of them might survive. Now the elect Jesus is speaking about are those who place their faith in Jesus, in Jesus Christ during that tribulation period. There will be some who will understand and see the truth and they will place their faith in Jesus Christ. Also Revelation chapter 7 talks about um, 144,000 Jewish witnesses that will be speak, that are set apart to, to again witness about Jesus, to proclaim Jesus to their own people. Jesus also said that during the, that time, false messiahs and prophets would arise in an attempt to trick those those tribulation saints by claiming to be claiming to be or have seen Christ himself but Jesus warned not to believe any of them he tells them don't believe them don't listen they're fake they're fraudulent they're false do not listen even if they produce false signs and wonders now, I mentioned it already, but the book of Revelation goes into greater detail about what that seven-year tribulation will be like, what that seven-year period will be like. And once you get to chapter 13 of Revelation, a description is given about how horrible those last three and a half years will be like. However, I firmly believe that before the tribulation begins, those who have truly placed their faith in Jesus Christ will not go through any of it, will not have to go through the tribulation. I believe this because I see strong evidence in Scripture supporting the notion that believers will be taken up to heaven in an event known as a rapture. This belief is also commonly referred to in many Christian circles as a pre-tribulation rapture. Now, there are a ton of books out there, I, I tell you that, 
I do admit that there's a lot of information out there, a lot of blogs, a lot of websites um, that will go into all the details about um, why uh, you know, people believe in, in the pre-tribulation rapture. I've read a lot of them. Um, just Google it yourself. You know, just put in pre-tribulation rapture and there's all kinds of information there. But um, I also know that there's the majority of pastors, teachers, and scholars I trust believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. After studying it and comparing it with the other beliefs, I concluded that it makes the most sense and I feel confident enough to stand by it and teach it. It's also an important aspect of Fresh Vision Church's Statement of Faith. If you go to our website, it's in there in our Statement of Faith that we as a church believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the saints. Now, without getting into a full-long, hour-long explanation about the reasons why I believe Christians will not experience the tribulation period, I'm only going to share two of them. These are the top two. The first one is there are many examples in the Bible that show how God rescued those who placed their faith in Him from His punishment and His wrath. Examples are Noah, Lot, Rahab. Those are just three. But there are many times that He rescued His own from coming destruction. There are also New Testament passages saying that believers are not appointed to suffer God's wrath. For instance, it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The second reason is this. Although the actual word rapture isn't in the Bible, 1 Thessalonians 4, 17 says this. It tells us this. When we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Now that word caught up in the Greek is where we get the um, English word rapture. It's a snatching away. That's, that's what that catch, caught up means. So a day will come where the Lord will just, in the blink of an eye, catch, just rapture all the believers in Christ. My point is this. If you want to avoid seeing or experience the suffering that will occur during the tribulation, you must place your faith in Jesus Christ today. If you do, He will save you from your sins and rescue you from the tribulation period that He says will come. Right now, we've given, we have, we're given the opportunity to, to accept Christ. We have the Holy Spirit here. And He shows us and He tells us the truth. He speaks to us. And right now, we have that opportunity to accept Jesus so that we don't have to go through that time. Okay, so let's see what Jesus, what Jesus says about what comes after that tribulation period. So we'll be picking up in verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will be falling from the sky and the celestial powers will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. He will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, 
from the end of the earth to the end of the sky. In this portion of the Olivet Discourse, Jesus gives a description of what it'll be like, what it's going to be like when he returns. Quoting from passages in Isaiah and Joel, he says, The sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light, and the stars will fall from the sky and the entire universe. Imagine that. The entire universe will be shaken. And at that moment, when the earth is at its darkest, heaven will be opened up and Jesus will come back with great power and glory. His return is going to be so evident. It's going to be so clear that no one will be able to ignore or deny it. And all believers who are alive and endured during that tribulation period will be gathered together from all over, all over the world to be with Jesus. I want to read to you what John wrote in Revelation 19 about what this will be like in his own words. If you, if you want, you can go there, but it's in Revelation chapter, chapter 19. He says there, Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and he judges and makes war in righteousness. His eyes were like, fire, like a fiery flame, and many crowns were, were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe stained with blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses wearing pure white linen. A sharp sword came out of his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will also trample the winepress of, wine press of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Lord of Lords. So imagine again being in a dark, darkened world. And that light just burst, burst through. I think there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be shocked, surprised, or just going to be annoyed by the light. We even see in Revelation that some people are going to be fighting Jesus as he's coming in the sky. I think sometimes we forget and need to be reminded, really, how powerful God is. By his power, the universe was created. By his power, every living creature lives and breathes. By his power, he raised Jesus from the dead and will also raise us up from the dead and will also transform us at that time of the rapture. He's a powerful God. He is, there's nothing at all more powerful than him. I think also there are times that we tend to minimize God, God's glory. Listen to how King David described it in 1 Chronicles 29, 11, 11 and 12. This is what he says. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty. For everything in heaven and on earth belongs to you. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom and you are exalted as head over all. 
Riches and honor come from you, and you are the ruler of everything. Power and might are in your hand, and it is in your hand that you make great, that you make great and to give strength to all. Do you take the time throughout the day saying the same thing? Do you take time throughout the day to just spend a minute and give God the glory that he deserves? You know, when, I, when we spend our time worship here, that's what, that's what we do. You know, we give him the glory, we give him our praise, we give him our worship. But we shouldn't just limit it to just Sunday mornings. We ought to spend time throughout the day just praising him and giving him the glory that he deserves. That's how to, that ought to be your heart. I tell you this because it is with the same power and glory that Jesus will return. You just have to choose. The choice is yours. If you will be coming back with him when he returns in that great power and glory or see him come against you with all his power and glory. I don't know about you, but I want to be on the right side of, the, of this battle. I want to come with him in great power and glory. I don't want him to come against me. So let's pick up in verse 28. Again, Jesus is speaking here. Mark chapter 13, verse 28. Learn this parable from the fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, know that he is near at the door. I assure you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. One of the things I quickly discovered when I moved to El Paso about 10 and a half, almost, it's almost going to be 11 years ago. Um, during my first two years here, um, I had to learn how to figure out the, the, the weather patterns here and how dramatically different the weather is here from, from San Diego. Um, and if you've lived anywhere else, you, you know what I'm talking about. The winters are cold and sometimes it snows and in the summer it's just really, really hot, you know. And you can also tell what kind of season we're in by just looking at the mountains or even just looking at the grass in the park. You know, um, the grass right now, it's springtime and it's green and it's nice. But as soon as fall hits or late fall, no matter how much you water the grass or how it is, you know, out, it's brown and you know that things are changing. So again, I had to relearn how to uh, figure out the seasons here, how to read the seasons here. Um, Jesus' parable of this fig tree is like reading the weather. If you want to know what, the se what season you're in, you must look at the signs. Speaking of himself, he says, in the same way, when you see these things happening, know that he is near. He is at the door. 
In other words, he's saying every sign I told you about, from the birth pains to the abomination that causes desolation, means I'm one step closer from returning. Now, in the beginning of verse 30, Jesus says, I assure you, and follows it up with two statements. Now, it's important to keep in mind that when Jesus says, I assure you, he literally means what he is about to say is 100% real, 100% honest, and 100% trustworthy. This is for reals. He's saying, I'm not lying. He's really serious what he's about to say. The first statement he wants everyone to be absolutely certain about is, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. For centuries, scholars have debated whether Jesus is talking about that generation that his listeners were living in, or if he was referring to a future generation. Well, I believe Jesus is speaking about a future generation because the people hearing him during that time They didn't live to see the things that he spoke about. Even after the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, Jesus' prophecies weren't completely fulfilled. However, it seems to make more sense that he's speaking about a future generation who will see the culmination of God's plan. That generation, I believe, will not pass away until all prophecies have been fulfilled. The second statement Jesus wants everyone to be absolutely certain about is that heaven and earth will not pass away, but my words, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. He was saying that his words, like God's, are absolutely eternal. He was establishing his divinity, that his word is just as equal, just as important important as God's words, as as all the words spoken about in the Old Testament. They are more enduring than creation, more solid, more dependable, and more reliable. Every word written in this book, I believe, are truly God's words. I believe the Bible is infallible. I believe it's inerrant. because of that I want to live by God's word I'm not perfect you know but I know that um, as I read it I want my life shaped by it and what Jesus is saying is that my word is eternal my word endures it will never pass away so let's move on let's move on to verse 32 Verse 32 says, Now concerning that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, except the Father. Watch, be alert, for you don't know when the time is coming. It is like a man on a journey who left his house, gave authority to his slaves, gave each one his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to be alert. Therefore be alert, since you do not know when the master of the house is coming whether in the evening or at midnight or at the crowing of the rooster or early in the morning. Otherwise, he might come suddenly and find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, be alert. 
As Jesus begins to close, he wants to reemphasize the importance of being watchful and alert, since no one will know when that hour will be, when that time will come, when he comes back. The angels in heaven don't know. Even Jesus, when he spoke these words, didn't know when that day would be. Now, in case you're wondering, you're like, well, how could he not know? Is any God? I mean, wouldn't he know everything? Well, let me, let me clarify. Let me explain what, he, what, was going, what was going on there. He didn't know the exact day when he'd return because in his human nature, there was a limitation to what he knew. There was a limitation to his knowledge. You see, while he was in this earthly body, Jesus only knew what God wanted him to know because he fully, fully submitted himself to the Father's will. Even though Jesus was still 100% God, he chose to voluntarily submit his divine nature. As a result of that, because he said, you know what, I'm going to put this divine nature, I'm going to put all this knowledge, all this wisdom that I have, I'm just going to put it aside and submit to it, I'm, and I'm just going to submit to whatever, the God, God, whatever God the Father wants to tell me. Because he did that, because he submitted that, it restricted his knowledge about certain things, and more importantly about this event. So yeah, he put this stuff aside and submitted himself. And he's like, you know what? I don't even know. I don't even know when this is going to happen. And I believe that once he ascended up to heaven, once he's, now that he's there at the right hand of God, I believe he knows exactly when that day would be, when that day is. But no one else knows. I've read stuff, I've seen stuff on the internet where people are trying to come up with mathematical formulas about when the when the rapture is coming or when the tribulation, there's books out there that um, are written as far as when the exact day. I mean, people have died in cults because they've listened to people saying, it's going to happen here and we must kill ourselves so that we avoid. I, they, they come up with some of the wackiest things. But nobody knows. You can be the world's smartest mathematician or the, worst, the, 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 the most famous Bible scholar that nobody knows but God when that day will be. Be careful who you're listening to. You know, when I start to tell you, hey, it's going to happen on this day, hey, run. <laughs> Just run from here. Don't, you know, don't look back. You know, it means I kind of lost some marbles there. You know, keep that in mind. To further illustrate his emphasis on be being watchful, Jesus uses another parable. This parable speaks about a man who departed, to, departed on a journey. And in his absence, his slaves were given responsibilities. To one, he assigned to be a doorkeeper and commanded him, be alert, be watchful, be vigilant. In verse 35, Jesus is commanding all believers, us as Christians, those who have placed our faith in Jesus. He's telling us, Stay alert. Stay alert like that doorkeeper because we don't know when the master of the house is coming. The last thing he wants to do is find you sleeping. The last thing he wants to do is find you snoozing when he comes. 
man, as I learned these general orders, as I was, you know, when I, the ones I mentioned, you know, we, we had night watch during boot camp and, and uh, man, if my drill instructors would ever catch me sleeping or snoozing during, during that time, probably die the next day, you know. Um, they would find a way to kill me. Not literally, but they would find a way to, to kill me. And, and so, um, in the same way, Jesus is, is asking you, is telling you, is commanding you, stay alert. Are you watching the signs? Are you watching to see when he's coming back? Are you, again, these, these things that I'm watching in the news, the earthquakes, the famines, the, you know, the rumors of wars, they speak to me like they, alerts. I can go through my entire Twitter feed or the news feed or whatever it is, and certain things will just stick out. And I'm like, that's another sign. That's another labor pain right there. We're one day closer. He's coming. He's coming back. He concludes with another, he concludes this reminder about the, this Olivet Discourse with a reminder, another reminder about the necessity of being alert. Expectancy should characterize every believer's life. Let me repeat that. Expectancy should characterize every believer's life. If a Christian isn't motivated by the expectancy of Jesus Christ or Jesus' return, then what is the point of the gospel they claim to accept, profess, profess, and proclaim? If you're a Christian, you ought to live each, you ought to live each day as though Christ will come at any moment. When you're living life with this in mind, and I'm not talking about being scared, because we're not supposed to be scared. We're supposed to be living just in, in joyful expectation. But when you live with this in mind, when you live, when you're ready at any moment for Jesus to come, by, come back, it will help you to live in obedience to God. It will help influence the choices and decisions you make each day. And it will keep you from being caught sleeping or unprepared when he does. Now, one of the reasons I teach the Bible, one of the reasons I do what I do, one of the reasons I, I love doing what I do is because I believe that Jesus Christ is coming back soon. I, I honestly do 100% believe that. Now, while I wait patiently for that to happen, for that day to arrive, I want believers to have a better understanding of who God is. I want to use God's word to show people why faith and obedience is so important and why it's so necessary. But more importantly, I want as many believers to be saved so that none of them will have to suffer the eternal torment of hell. Because hell isn't one of those, the way the Bible, Jesus describes hell, it's not a big party place. It's gonna be suffering. It says, he says it's gonna be weeping and gnashing of the teeth. Eternal torment. I wouldn't want that at my worst enemy. There's people I don't like out there, I, but you know what? I, I don't want that on them at all. 
So I do this because he's called me to do this. Because I want people to be saved. And I want people to know and love God. And, I, and again, I can't make them. I can only tell them what the Bible says. He's, you know, he's called me to do this. He's gifted me to do this. But really, I mean, he's, each individual person has to reach out to God. But now, if you consider yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, let me ask you a couple questions. Are you being watchful and staying alert? In other words, would you be ready if the Lord, if your Lord and Savior were to come back today, or would he catch you sleeping on the job? My second question is, what are you doing in preparation for his arrival? Are you storing up treasures on earth that have no eternal value? Or are you living up to store eternal treasures in heaven? Friends, keep reminding yourselves of Jesus' command to stay alert. Stay alert. Keep that, keep that on the top of your mind, on the top of your head, in the forefront of your memory. Stay alert. He could come back at any moment. What will he catch you doing when he does? Will he catch you smoking the herb? Will he catch you drinking a 40? Or will he catch you sharing Christ? Will he catch you in prayer? Will he catch you sharing the love that he's poured into your heart? We're one day nearer to his arrival than we were yesterday. While it's today, remain faithful, diligent, obedient, and vigilant. As I conclude, I want to go back to a verse in our passage. Jesus said at the end of verse 23, I have told you everything in advance. Another question for you. Now that you know, what will you do about it? If you had information that could save the lives of billions of people, what would you, would you keep it to yourself? Would you just, you know what, I'm too scared, too shy to share it with others because I, I I, I don't know what to say. Or would you tell as many people as you possibly could? What are you going to do with the information you have? Is there a sense of urgency? Seeing the, seeing the signs that are there, is there a sense of urgency to share Christ with others? See your friends, your family members be saved? I know... If I love someone, if I really care about someone, I want them to be with me in heaven. You know, if I have friends that I believe aren't saved, I just don't want to kick it with them here on earth, but I just want to kick it with them in heaven. I want to just be able to just be able just to enjoy eternal life with them. How important is that to you? How important it is, is it to share your, this information to your friends and family? 
Again, you don't want to be face to face with God and say, hey, I gave you the opportunity this, to, to share Christ with your friend or with this cousin or family member and what did you do with it? I mean, I don't think you want to use the excuse, oh man, I was just too embarrassed, too shy to, you know. He says, Jesus says, if you're embarrassed about me here on earth, I'm going to be embarrassed about you in heaven. Man, I don't, <laughs> it's the last thing I want. And how important is that to you? Jesus laid it out in his Olivet Discourse. He laid it out. He laid it out there because he loves us and doesn't want us to be in the dark when he returns. I believe those, these words because I believe Jesus is the personification of truth. We're told in 1 John 5.20, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know the true one. We are in the true one that is in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. So if truth tells me that something is going to happen and what I need to do to prepare for it, I'm going to absolutely believe it, and I'm going to do anything possible to act on it. But what are you guys going to do about it? That's the question. Now, just because it's taken more than 2,000 years, it doesn't mean that God has ignored or forgotten us. And that's the lie of the enemy again. He wants to tell you, oh, he ain't coming back. He's forgotten about humanity. He doesn't care about humanity. He wants them to all fend for themselves. He's given up on you. He's given up on all of, all of you guys. That's a lie from the devil. When you care about your child and you tell him or her, hey, honey, hey, son, I'm going to be right back. I'm going to just be gone for a little bit. But I promise you, I'm going to be back. He's going to believe you. He or she's going to believe you. And your word absolutely matters. If he trusts you, if he trusts what you, what you say, and you've never broken any of your promises, he will believe you. And this is how it is. He's going to come back. I don't, know, I don't care how long it takes. Even, even if I'm no longer here, even if it takes longer than my life, I do believe he's going to come back. Maybe in my kid's lifetime, their kid's lifetime. But that, doesn't, that isn't going to stop me from remaining watchful and vigilant. On the contrary, again, he's paying close attention. He's watching. And every day that passes only indicates, again, how patient he is with all of us. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants as many people as possible to be with him in eternity. He's given us ample opportunities to repent from our sins, to turn back from them, and tell others about Jesus Christ. Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, verse, 
chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. With the Lord, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord does not delay in his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to, any to perish, but all to come to repentance. As Christians, you and I have a responsibility to tell people the truth and warn others about the consequences for ignoring it. As I mentioned, the day will come when the Lord, the day will come when the Lord will snatch us away. Come and take us all and we'll be up in heaven. When that day happens, those that are left behind will have to endure the suffering through that great tribulation. If love reigns supremely in your heart, then warn as many people as you can and tell them what they must do to be saved. For those watching and listening, I don't know where you're at in your heart and where you are in your life. This message may have begun to stir something within you. Don't ignore it. God is trying to speak to your heart. And your heart is something in you. Your spirit in you is trying to, to, to listen. Don't close your mind. Don't close your ears. Listen to what God is trying to say. It's the Lord trying to tell you that He loves you. And He doesn't want, and He wants to bring you into His kingdom. You can repent of your sins today. Place your faith in Jesus Christ, and He will rescue you from His coming wrath. He will rescue you and save you from your sins. And he will just, when that, take, when that day comes, he will rescue you from the coming tribulation. Again, some of you know what I'm saying is true. The Lord is speaking to you. The Spirit is trying to speak with you. Accept it. Accept Jesus today. All you have to do is reach out to him and accept that free gift of forgiveness. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Um, you've given us this time to hear your word. Thank you that you've given us promises and you've given us, that you've warned us of what's to come, Lord. Lord, we may we, may we um, be faithful to your calling, we may, may, may we be obedient to what you have told us to do when you come, as you come back, Lord. Give us the strength, Lord, again, to, to not pay attention to gathering up treasures here on earth, Lord, but eternal treasures in heaven. We're so looking forward to you coming back, Lord. We want to be with you so we can glorify you and praise you, Lord. There may be some listening again that just want that and 
don't have that assurance that if the Lord were to come back, if the Lord were to come back today, or if their life was the end today, that they would be with the Lord at that exact moment. If that's you and you're ready to surrender your life and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just pray this in your heart. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I admit that I failed and that I'm not perfect. I believe Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and that all my sins are now placed, have been placed upon him. accept your free gift of forgiveness. I believe Jesus is Lord. And I want to live for him. Thank you for forgiving me. Give me the strength turn from my sin, Lord. And may I follow you for the rest of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I may do your will. If you pray that with sincerity from the bottom of your heart, welcome to the kingdom of God. I hope to see you one day in heaven. Now, those of us here, I just, Lord, I ask that you bless them, be with them through that entire week, Lord, and may they just be bold as they proclaim who you are, Lord. May they just be unashamed for being Christians, for being your followers, Lord. We look forward to your coming back, Lord, and may we just be ready, all of us. Bless us next time, Lord. Fellowship. May we just encourage each other with our words. Thank you, Lord. Pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.